0: My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com. Hey everyone, Mikkel here. Okay, before we jump into today's episode, I wanna remind you that if you go to expatmoneyshow.com, you're gonna be able to download our special report. It's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. It has been a project of mine I have been working on for maybe four years now and I constantly update this with the newest and best strategies. Now it's really different than a lot of other special reports or books out there because this one is really short and it is short on purpose. What I want to do is kind of highlight to you the best of the best strategies that are out there in the world and then where you can go for additional information or how you can get involved in these things. So instead of writing a 500-page special report on this, which probably chances are no one is going to read it, this is really highly condensed information. I've actually put it in an infographic. It's an infographic special report. Uh, It has helped thousands upon thousands of people really get a grasp of being an expat and what type of things are out there to protect your assets, professionals that you should be working with, investments, real estate, these types of things. So it's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. You can pick it up at expatmoneyshow.com. You'll see it. It's on the very first page at the very top. All you need to do is put in your name and email address. You're going to get a chance to actually join my private email list, EMS Pulse. And there's just so much great things that are shared on there. It's completely free. There's no funnel. There's no trick to this. There's no credit card needed, anything like that. It's just a good resource for you, my listener, who I love and adore. And I want to do right by you guys. So go to expatmoneyshow.com, pick this up. Let me know what you think. I'll talk to you soon. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Michael Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show. And today, I am truly thrilled to have today's guest on our podcast. He has been considered one of America's foremost political operatives. He has worked on numerous pro major election campaigns from the congressional to the presidential levels, and he currently serves as a strategic advisor to some of Washington's top political organizations and media groups. With the U.S. elections only a few months away, obviously our discussion will revolve around politics. We're going to be talking with the godfather of the organization called, called Constitutional Rights PAC. Please welcome to the show, Carter Clues. Carter, how are you?
1: I am great, McKellen. Thank you so much for having me on. And I am, let me say at the outset, I'm a tremendous admirer of yours and uh, what you're doing with, with Escape Artist is just fantastic. You are a godsend to people who now realize it's time to escape, it's time to move on. Let's see what comes next and let's be excited about it. And where you find out about that is from McKellen, Escape Artist. So thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure, it's a real pleasure.
0: Carter, you were too kind. And just so everybody understands, Carter has actually become a very good friend of mine this year. Uh, When I have political questions, I actually turn to Carter himself. He's been my inside man so that I understand a lot more and he's been teaching me and helping me. So you guys are in for a real treat today. I think this is going to be an amazing conversation. Carter, to kind of get started, why don't you give us maybe a few minutes of background and talk to us? How did you get into politics in the first place? You know
1: it's very funny you ask that because I, I just finished my own morning podcast, uh, WashingtonExposé.com, dot com, and we were kidding, and and one of the people said, "Well, how far back do you go anyway?" And I told him, and this is the truth, it's the honest truth. I go back. The first inauguration I attended was Eisenhower's inauguration in nineteen fifty two. Okay. 1952. And so the-
0: uh, I won't even say what year I was born, you know,
1: that's what really <laughs> <me. laughs> I So I said, said, what was it like? And I said, well, Ike said to me, uh, Carter, how you like in my inauguration? And I said, well, it's just not as good as Lincoln's, but it's all right. It, it's all right. It's coming along fine. Um, so I've been in politics a long time. Now, and the truth is I was only six years old then, but but uh, then that was when I fell in love with politics and I realized I wanted to be part of this. I wanted it to be part of me, and I wanted to help shape an America that I loved, okay? And so my whole life from that point on was devoted to politics. I just, I just loved it. It became what they call a fever in the blood. And my, with me, though, it was a fever in the blood not to see how important Carter Clues could get, but to see how much I could help my country, Okay. What I, because I love my country. My father was, was a Methodist minister. We were taught what St. Luke wrote, uh, to whom much is given, much is required. And he said, you have to give back. And my way of giving back was to help the country I love uh, continue to be a place where, where people were free and, and where they had a chance to pursue happiness and be successful. And so that's what I did. And, and, and uh, so, I, you know, at, once I graduated from, my, the first campaign I really was active in was Goldwater in 64. We didn't do too well on that when we lost by, uh, I think uh, uh, we, we got 27 million votes and I think uh, Johnson had twice that many. Um, uh, and so, but but that but but that was a, a uh, immersion by fire, and then um, then I went to Washington. After that, I just I went to Washington. I volunteered volunteered for the committee to reelect the president. And some some of our listeners right now are saying, "Oh my gosh, this guy's a real crook." Well, I wasn't a crook, but I definitely was surrounded by him, John Mitchell and uh, and Chuck Colson and all of them. Um, I remember one time I was I was in charge of audio actualities for the committee to read. Now that for anybody who is familiar with politics or audio is saying, man, audio actualities. Well, so I, I splice tape together, and I remember, and fed fed uh, actualities. That's short sound bites that Nixon was saying out to radio stations nationwide. And I'm working on it, and Chuck Colson walks through and says. Uh, and I was listening at the same time to the World Series. It was, uh, I remember Detroit, and I can't remember who they were playing, the Tigers. Chuck Colson walked in and said, uh, is, is Detroit winning? And I said, uh, yes, sir. They're ahead by a runner, So right now." I said, well, they damn well better win because Dick's going out there next week. And I want those damn people to be happy. And I thought, wow, there's a man consumed by politics. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> so, so we won that election and that really catapulted uh, my political career despite as i tell people everyone above me ended up in jail um i still uh, uh because that was the watergate uh, situation and uh and but i still went on and uh and and became the director of communications for the us senate and uh, director of communications for the national right to work committee the, the top um some people say anti-union organization in Washington. We're actually against compulsory unionism. Um, and, uh, and then with uh, Americans from government, I, you know, I could go on judicial watch uh, and just every time, in, in every instance, working to further the cause of just keeping people free, just keeping people free. You know I used to tell my staff, you're not here for yourself. You're not here for yourself. And the minute you think you are, I want you to leave. OK, you're here for those people out there in the hinterlands who should not be overtaxed and should not be overregulated and should be free to live their daily lives without fear of what some damn politician's going to do to them tomorrow. Because let me tell you a little something, and, and I don't want to offend any of our listeners, but I'm going to tell you the truth. I've worked around politicians for 50 years and almost to a one. They are evil, vile people. They live for three things, power, money, and control. And some people say, well, the money they're only paid, uh, senators only paid $178,000 a year. Yeah, folks. So I want you to think about something. How come they all end up multimillionaires then? Well, it's crooked. It's as crooked as the day is long. It's as crooked as the day is long. So, and that that's why I fought that that fight so hard. And that's why now, I'm so enthused about what you're doing, and that is Escape Artist, helping people know how do you escape from a country where everything I fought for is pretty much gone now.
0: And I think that kind of answers the question for anyone who might be listening and going, well, why do you have a guy on about American politics on an expat podcast? And that is really because of, you know, you reached out to me, I think, originally about the work that I was doing, and and things have changed you know, in the US, it's not the country that it once was. And we're just seeing absolute record numbers, record numbers of people who are realizing that for the first times in their lives with everything that's happening. But I remember when you were talking there, you, it kind of gave me a flashback to something maybe six months ago. And it was like, I don't know if I asked you or someone else asked you, but it was like, is politics dirty? And your response was like, yes if you're doing it right. And it, and that really struck me. I was like, I was like, like these guys don't even pretend that it's not like, like that really is it. Like this, this is a dirty business.
1: It's as dirty as the day is long. You know, the, uh, in a minute, I want to get to the fact that I have, you know, that I have a home in Honduras and we'll get into that so people can identify with what I'm saying better. But you know, the, the in, in terms of, of it being dirty, you know, it, it is, it's, I always tell people I was in private industry and I wrote infomercials. Okay, matter of fact, I wrote the only billion-dollar infomercial in history. Uh, it was called some of some of some of our listeners will remember it, Psychic Friends Network. I wrote another infomercial where we sold forty million fishing lures. All right, the helicopter lure, and 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 it did catch fish, by the way. I will say, except for me because I'm a terrible fisherman. Um, but the but but the I, people said, well, what's the? How do you define the difference? between what you did in private industry and politics. I had just taken a couple of years off to write infomercials and such. And I said, in, in private industry, you sell dreams to dreamers. In politics, you sell nightmares to paranoids. <laughs> okay, so, and, and I'm sorry, but it just happens to be the truth. You know, the, the, uh, the crude way of saying private industry is it operates, you know, you sell greed, in politics, you sell hate. And I'm sorry, that's just the way it is, folks. And, and uh, I wish I could tell you it's not, uh, you had a few politicians that I worked with um, who did not, who just didn't, just didn't do that. Uh, and when I say few, I, I think I meant to say one, and that was Ronald Reagan. Uh, when I worked with Reagan, uh, what you saw with Ronald Reagan was Ronald Reagan. Okay, there was no, he was as unassuming and unegotistical, and as nice a guy as you saw him whenever you'd see him on TV or anywhere else. When I was with him alone, when I was in major media, no matter where it was, he was just a a kind and very upbeat person. Uh, Other than that, uh, it is what it is and, and you just have to learn to adjust to it.
0: Well, and I've had Jack Wheeler on my show before who worked directly with Ronald Reagan And he said the same thing. We had a big conversation about him. And he just said the the man was amazing. Like, he's just unbelievable.
1: Oh, he was just wonderful. I'll never forget, I was in a small meeting with him in the Blue Room in the White House one day. And this was about two months after he was shot, right? So he's standing at the podium and he's explaining... (laughs) he's explaining to the small group of us how well things are going with Reaganomics. And he said, well, well uh, you know, they say, uh, uh, the critics are saying, all right, well, it, it, it may work in practice, but, uh, it still doesn't work in, 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 theory. And, uh, which was a very funny line. And right then a Kleagleite, because they always had the cameras on him, fell down behind him and exploded. I remember this two months after he'd been shot or several months after he'd been shot. And he, <laughs> He, didn't, he just kind of dipped his shoulder a little bit, looked behind him, looked back at us and said, well, they missed me that time. <laughs> <laughs> that was just so typical, the reserve and just a, a wonderful sense of humor. So, so he was the exception and, I, and I'm glad I got to work with him. But I wanted to mention, you know, you said, what are you interviewing this political guy for? And, folks, I'm not a political guy. I don't, you know, most of the work I do is corporate. I do have, you know, the the uh, Constitutional Rights pact because I think some things are very vital out there right now. I do work with that. A couple other political clients, but a lot of corporate. And, and I want to give my bona fides here. I own a home in Honduras, okay? Uh, uh, not only that, but my wife is Honduran. Uh, we met about seven years ago and uh thank god i was finally able to get her up here about 3 years ago which is one of the you know if when i die and get to heaven and god says or saint peter says to me what did you do that was any good down there i will say i brought rachel rio salas to america and and that and rescued her from the horror of being a po- impoverished person in a place like honduras um, because now, now you know, and she's and, and and I don't want anybody to think she's a ninety-day bride. You know, I got her on the internet. I had one of my ex-fiances one she We found out we were married. Said to me, "Well, well did you buy her?" <laughs> I said, no, I, didn't, I didn't buy her." You know, we've been together seven years, for God's sake. So, my wife is from Honduras, and we own a home in Honduras. I lived in Honduras for a year. I love Honduras, and I would I would uh, recommend I would recommend Honduras for people despite you know the the political situation there.
0: So that brings up an interesting point straight off the bat that I think this is as good a time now to dig in than than any other. And that's like you said that you rescued you for Honduras, but now in conversations Together, we've talked a lot about people leaving the U.S. and moving to Latin America, and not necessarily just Honduras, but Panama or Costa Rica or Belize or all of these other countries through Central and South America. What, what's changed your mind? Like, what was that turning point for you? My, my mind hasn't changed. I... Um... And I need to explain that,
1: and I want everybody to understand this. Folks, I am going to be honest with you. If you don't want an honest answer, you know, know, uh, I remember Humphrey Bogart, who was very outspoken, those of you not old enough to remember, was a great movie star when I was younger, very, very outspoken person. And so he said, uh, you know, women ask me if I like their hat, I tell them, no, I don't like your hat. And then they get upset, and my attitude is, damn it, if you don't wanna know the truth, don't ask me. Well, I'm gonna tell you the truth what I feel. Am I right? I don't know. You be the judge of that. Um, But the truth is this. I would move back to Honduras now in a heartbeat, um, and I would take my my wife with me because my wife is no longer an impoverished little Honduran, okay? I want people to understand something here. And if you don't, you damn well better learn this. In a place like Honduras and other Central American countries, there is poverty that's so harsh that it will bring tears to your eyes, maybe running down your cheeks. I've been with Rachel seven years, and I still break into tears when she tells me the poverty she lived under. Sleeping on the ground in the mud, her home looked like a chicken coop. She had no toys. She had no clothes. She had no education until she was 13 years old. And she says to me, Amor, if your government sent all that money down there, why did I have to be so poor? Okay, well, it's because your dictator stole it, Princess. That's why. Now, having said that, why would I go back? Because I'm not impoverished. I'm not impoverished. So if you go back to a, if you go move to a country like that, I want to talk to old people. Okay, I'm old and I'm going to talk to old people because usually they can understand. If you're getting social security, your social security check in Honduras is going to help you live like the elite. Okay, so you, so what you see that those people have to endure you're never going to have to endure. You're never going to have to endure the oppression that some of these Central American uh, uh, politicians inflict because you're going to be the elite. Imagine if you were wealthy in America. Well, that's how you're going to live down there. Okay. Now, and that, that's an important point to make. That's an important point to make. And I want people to understand it. Um, If you have a savings set aside, you know, I just wrote a, a, uh, a, a, a column, my escape route column for Michele. He's kind of left to let me write a monthly column an escape artist. And I called it a typical day because I wanted people to know what's it like for one of us to move down there. Well, we have a certain amount of money. You know, I get a certain amount, you know, I I don't rely on it, you know, because obviously I have clients up here and everything. But even if tomorrow I said, you know what? I don't want to do anything for any clients anymore. You corporate guys, you're on your own. I've taught you. You ought to be able to make it on your own now. And, and you guys in politics, you are what you are. And that's all there is to it. But I'm moving to Honduras. I can live off my social security check very, very nicely. Thank you. Okay. Um, as it, it, you know, and that, 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 that's how it's going to be for you. So the answer to your question is because my wife
0: would not be poor down there. Okay. Well, and then I guess the, the follow-up question, because someone might hear that and, you know, may, might... I don't think we have a lot of leftists who are really listening to my show, but if maybe someone's <laughs> on there. And then they were saying, you know, well, aren't you taking advantage of them? Aren't you taking advantage of the situation and and uh, just going down as a rich gringo and uh, gaming the system? What's... Uh, I, I have very strong opinions about this, but I want to hear yours.
1: My opinion is this. If I go down there and I spend my money, my hard-earned money, and buy clothes and a home and food every day from the Honduran people whom I love, I don't think I'm taking advantage of them. I think I'm helping them more than a bunch of virtue, sign- virtue signaling liberals up here in this country who mouth and mouth and mouth and yammer and yammer and yammer and don't do a damn thing for the people down there, okay? I'm spending my money in that country with people. If I buy a baleata at a road stand a roadside stand in Honduras, I just gave those people money for food for them to eat. They gave me something great in return because I like baleadas, and it, it's, so I contribute to the economy. I'm not enslaving them. Those of you who drive off business down there, I'll never forget a perfect example. When I, you know, my home, my first home down there, was in a little town called Alpino. and it was outside of La Seba. Those I don't know those familiar with. Honduras, no, La Ceiba, is, the, is the, um, one of the three big cities in Honduras. You have Tegucigalpa, the capital. They call that the political capital. Uh, San Pedro Sola, the industrial capital. And they call La Ceiba the tourism capital, even though there are no tourists. Um, but uh, they, had, they used to have standard fruit there. And the liberals in this country screamed and hollered, you're abusing the people, you're oppressing the people, until finally Standard Fruit threw up his hands and said, okay, all right, we'll leave. And all these people who have been making a living, suddenly couldn't make a living. And I talked to them. I'm not telling you something I just heard. I talked to people who lost their jobs because of what was done to them. Uh, so when as a conservative, and I am conservative, uh, I go down and contribute to the economy. I send money down from here, as a matter of fact, folks. Um, and I would love for the liberals to match the amount of money I send down every month. So, so, so no. I don't feel like I'm taking
0: an advantage of abused people. No. Mm-mm. We will just take a quick break. I am so happy to announce that the Expat Money Show is going back to weekly. When you wake up every single Friday morning, you will see a brand new episode of the show waiting for you in your favorite podcasting app. And this couldn't come at a better time, because we are about to celebrate our 100th episode of the show. And I want to do something really special for you. So what I thought might be fun is I'm going to interview myself. Mikkel interviews Mikkel, if you will. And you, my amazing audience, are going to decide on the questions. All you have to do to participate is head over to Apple Podcasts, smash that subscribe button, and leave us a five-star review. While you're there, I want you to write your question at the bottom of your review, and I will give you a shout-out and answer your question live on episode 100. Really, it's unbelievable to think that we are at almost 100 episodes of the show. So to show your love, I want you to go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review, ask your question so I can answer it live on episode 100. I'm super excited about this. Thank you so much for being a listener. Okay, let's jump back into the episode. Well, and then I think add to that the fact that you're actually encouraging people to work for themselves. And by working for themselves, you're giving them more than just the ability to earn money. You're actually helping them to, to be in the right headspace. Because when you when you donate money and you make someone a beggar, that has a psychological effect on someone. If you make people feel like they can't provide for themselves or a man can't provide for his wife and child, I mean, that's a horrible thing to do to someone. I've lived in you know, Aboriginal communities, uh, when I lived in the Arctic and the money that was just given to them from the government, these people had no self-respect. Um, and okay I'm making a generalization but I mean I spent 366 days there and I saw massive amounts of alcoholism and drug abuse and things like that but the friends of mine who actually had a, a job and came into work their lives were so much better off I think that any time that you can encourage someone to produce for themselves take care of themselves and take care of their family there is so many ripple on effects that that has for that person that family and that community that you can't just you you can't quantify all those things you can't count them all does that make sense it
1: makes great sense i think you're right on target and the fact of the matter is that's all the people of honduras and i'm sure guatemala nicaragua the other countries down there are one they're not asking for a handout they're not asking for a handout they're not puerto rico they're asking for give us a chance to make it on our own that's all right when i first met rachel all she used to say to me is i just want a chance i just want a chance Okay. by the way, she is very well educated now because she worked 14 hours a day scrubbing floors when she was 13 years old to put herself through school. Okay, so she is very well educated now. But that's the that is the kind of people we're talking about here. They want to work. They work hard. They slave hard. When I had the home in uh, El Pino, I had a wall built around it. And those people were out there at seven in the morning till nine at night in heat that was just oppressive building that huge concrete wall by hand, okay? So these are very hardworking, decent people and all they're asking, they're not saying, send us money, bail us out, bail us out, no. They're saying, help us be part of a, a, a system where we can make it on our own, okay? One of, one of the things that that is, that, and you're right, it, it's dehumanizing to people to put them on the dole and they don't wanna be on the dole but they would like a chance to make it on their own. And I'm going to say something maybe may be a little shocking to people. But I say this as someone who's been in the game a long time now. If you said to me, Carter, if, if God came to you and said, look, here's a country, it can either have democracy or capitalism, which would you say? I'd say give them capitalism. Give them cap because democracy, what does democracy lead to? Well, let's see. In the Soviet Union, it led to Kerensky, whom they elected, who was then overthrown by Stalin. In, Hitler, in Germany, it led to, um, now the guy's name slips my mind, but there was a democratically elected president of Germany, folks, who then Hitler pushed aside and took over. So democracy doesn't guarantee freedom. It doesn't guarantee freedom. What guarantees freedom is capitalism, letting people earn
0: their own way and keep their own earnings. Free market enterprise, exactly. Austrian School of a- Economics. It's, this, things cannot be centrally planned. They are too complex. People are too different. There's too much input. You can't just have one guy in a room on the other side of the country deciding how everything should be for everyone else. Free market enterprise, for sure.
1: Free market enterprise. And it, it, and it believe it or not, is going to lead uh probably invariably to mock to democracy then th- which you then have to protect and i think so in those countries that's why i encourage people to move down there because because i think if you move down there you are going to help foster democracy there you're going and help f- foster the free enterprise there uh, these are these, are, you know. And look, I'm not speaking as someone who I know one, oh, I, I think I know someone from. I think I know someone from Honduras. I'm married to someone from Honduras. <laughs> She's got nine sisters and brothers. Okay, I have a lot of other friends in Honduras. Uh, I have some who are higher up in government who I think are despicable. I have, but I have a lot of them who are just good, decent people, and, and hardworking people. And so, so when you when you have that in your background, as I do now, or in your foreground now, because you know I'm still married, uh, the the it tells you that the best thing you can do move down there. It's a better life now, and that I want to address. Now it is a better life, Mikael. It is a better life for people down there than it is in this country right now.
0: Well, and I want to dig into that in one second, but I totally agree with you about your point when someone makes some type of comment about another country and they haven't been there. I get it all the time. People want to tell me what China is like. It's like, um, I married a woman from China. I've been there more than 30 times. I own properties and investments there, but it's a communist country. Well, I mean, politically, it might be communist, but like economically, it is not communist. Like, not at all, it is probably one of the most capitalist countries in the world, in that they are so entrepreneurial, the people there, and I'm not saying that I am a fan of the Chinese government by any means, I certainly am not, but I mean don't tell someone else how something is if you've never even gone there yourself, if you haven't even had a, a look around. You can't like listen to a podcast or read a book or watch something on CNN and decide that now you're an expert on it um, you know. I encourage people to go out there and see. Go see what Honduras is like. Come into Panama. Come visit with me. See what the place is like here. Or in my example, go to China. Go to Southeast Asia. Go to East Asia. Figure out what the places are actually like and then make your own decision. You know, people said that Iran was the axis of evil. Well, I went, okay, well, let's go take a look. And I got on a plane and I went by myself and I spent two weeks and I drove around, you know, I tried to look at things myself and make my own decisions and make my own mind up and not just rely on mainstream media and other people thinking for me.
1: Well, I'm glad you said that. And, and you know, before uh, I married my, my wife, some years back, I had a, before I met my wife, I had a, a Chinese fiance who was from Beijing. She was an exchange student. And, uh, and it was a real eye opener. I, I remember we went to a place called Tyson's Corner those familiar with the Washington area will know Tyson's Corner is a huge mall, huge, gorgeous, modern mall. And we were walking around, and I said to her, uh, "What do you think of this? Pretty impressive and all." And she said, "Well, it's small but nice." <laughs> I said, "Small?" She said, "Oh yeah, our our shopping center's in." Uh, in China and Beijing are much larger than this.
0: Yeah, or go to Guangzhou or anything (laughs) like that, and then look around the city and compare that to what's going on in Canada and the United States right now. Like, just if people always want to make comments to me when I talk about libertarianism about the roads. Oh, the roads, the roads. It's like, the roads are terrible in Canada and the States. Go to a place like China, everything is brand new. It's like going into the future. The place is unbelievable.
1: It's just, you know, I'm glad you mentioned Iran, because I want to say something, which is may come, which, again, some people are not going to like, but I want to tell you the truth, and you might as well face it. Uh, Look, we are, we have been victimized now for decades from the war machine in this country, the profiteers, okay? The, the deep state, if you want to know what the deep state really is, remember, you know, I was with Judicial Watch up until six months ago. We're the ones that exposed all the stuff with Comey and McCabe and Peter Strzok and these people, their attempt to prevent Trump from being president with the phony dossier. There's the whole nine yards. We're the ones that did it. And and uh, and Hillary's crooked foundation. You know, I'm the one that discovered that she was funneling money. Um, so, so you know, um, so I've been there, and I'm telling you, the the deep state is the war machine. The deep state is the war machine. They want endless wars. I want you to think back. I want you to think back all the way to when I was a kid, and the war machine wanted Vietnam because they told us dominoes will fall <laughs> throughout all of Asia if Vietnam goes communist. Well, co- Vietnam went communist, and no dominoes fell. And then, it, but we lost 57,000 American soldiers. And over and over again, then they, you know, the, one of the baffling things, the, the Bush war machine sent us into Iraq. And I want you to think for a second Osama bin Laden, who may or may not have been in Afghanistan, I don't know, I wasn't there. But nonetheless, the one place we knew he wasn't was Iraq, okay? And we knew that Saddam didn't like anybody, including. Osama bin Laden. And so we waged war on Iraq and cost thousands of American lives and maybe millions of Iraqi lives. And then we weren't satisfied. We had to wage war in Afghanistan. Afghanistan that wasn't selling all of their heroin over here until we went in there. Okay, so look, the war machine is a profiteer machine and the lives of American young people are considered acceptable collateral damage. So now the big enemy is Iran. Well, you know, when I was a kid, I remember Muhammad Ali, he was Cassius, he was, he was Cassius Clay back then. They wanted to draft him in 1967 said, I ain't going in. You might send me to Vietnam and those people over there never did nothing to me. <laughs> I thought at the time, well, that's not very patriotic, but you know what, they really didn't. And the Iranians have done nothing to me Uh, You know, uh, the North Korean, the little fellow there, I think is a very peculiar little man. But nonetheless, um, he hadn't done anything to me. And he, you know, he doesn't, is he a threat to everybody in the world? I kind of have my doubts about that. You know, I kind of have my doubts about that. And yet we're supposed to be ready to, and and what, what did Obama's told Trump in their White House meeting? Don't forget, the worst problem you're Going to face is North Korea.
0: Excuse me. <laughs> that's, I would if I were trying I've to- been to North Korea. Okay, <laughs> I I've been there. I mean, you want to talk about poverty? Like uh, that's totalitarianism. That's destroyed their own country. Are they the biggest threat to the world stage? Though I doubt it. I mean, I think it's the boogeyman. I think that the U.S. and and A lot of the other Western countries, we need to make up big boogeymen to scare everybody. And I think that that's what's happening with global warming. I think that's what's happening with coronavirus. We always need some type of external threats. And the more external threats that we have, the more rights that we can take away from the people. And yeah, I just... I just don't see it either. You know, I just don't see that um, Iran or North Korea is going to be this massive threat to the US. Look at the defense spending, look at the bases, look at everything that they have. And I think that the, the goalposts that they set for winning a war in Afghanistan and Iraq is not, it's not what they say it is. Let's just put it that way. They're not being honest with you. It's not to stop terror. It's not to make the world a safer place. At all?
1: Well, well, no. Afghanistan, for Pete's sake, you know. One of the, th- I remember when when Bush and his people, and then Obama, who said this is the war we have to fight. This war in Afghanistan. This is the right war. You know that with that weird cadence. But at any rate, when those two got together and started that war, and then continued it, I remember you know, the uh, uh, Rush Limbaugh saying. <laughs> well, I guess what we need to do now is bomb Afghanistan forward to the Stone Age. I mean, that's how, much, <laughs> folks, that's how much of a threat Afghanistan was to the United States. Now, do I like the way that the Taliban treated their people? No. no. They're, you know, I have neighbors. I don't like the way they treat their people. Uh, that, uh, but I don't invade their home. You know, it's, and, and I think we have to step back from that. And if we will stop it, you know, then maybe we can do what, what Mikhail has done a wonderful, you've lived in 160 countries?
0: I've been to, I've been to 105 countries. I've lived in uh, a lot less than that. I've lived in eight countries, but yeah.
1: Which is, I mean, been to 105 countries. What are 190 in the world? Is that right? Yeah, 193. 193. So you don't have far to go to you get to the rest of them. Some of them might be a little uh, leery if if I were you. Um, Some of those, especially over in the, uh, the former Soviet Union. Uh, I wish I, I wish I could think of the name one it starts with a D that I just did some research on for some reason, and it's like a horror show. And uh, and so, but but nonetheless, you know, you there are a lot of these countries you can go live in and have a wonderful life. And and you know, I want I want to do something here, which which I think is important for this discussion. And that is, it, as we say in politics, hold harmless the whole COVID thing. Okay. Because you can't, if you bring that into the discussion, it skews the whole discussion, and you know they're they're going to drag it out up here as long as they can. Biden's uh, top medical advisor, Ira Singer, just told us, well, if uh, if uh, president if the if Biden is elected, we're we're going to have two more years of the lockdown in America with people wearing masks. And it's like, what the hell are you talking about? But that's what they're going to do here, and I think tyrants everywhere are going to do that. Look, it's it's like a godsend to them, you know how can I stop people from protesting in the streets? Tell them, all, well, well, I'm gonna to have to lock you in your house because otherwise you're gonna die of a dread disease you can't see and you can't feel and you don't know anybody who has it and blah, blah. And so we have to hold that harmless. I can't say, you know, going to Honduras now, right this minute, the reason, you know, that Rachel doesn't go back and visit right now and I don't get to go and live in my home in Honduras for a couple months is because, you know, if you go there, you know, he's found this a wonderful opportunity to make it so the poor people there can't even step out of their house. But forget that because it can't, even as it, I don't really care how cynical the tyrant is as a governor in this country or a a, a ruler of a uh, another country, they can't go on forever with this, okay? It becomes too obvious to people that, wait a minute, something's wrong here. But but so we have to hold that harmless. So when I say, you know, you should go to these places, you're, you, know, you you know, I just want to make, make it clear, I'm talking about what those places really are, not this contrived um, uh, war that, that uh, they're using to oppress all the people right now. I just need to make that clear. You know, That's uh, my opinion.
0: Oh, of course. And people often ask me, you know, how's business? How's things going? You know, I'm like, we're getting record numbers of people wanting to leave the United States, leave Canada. And then obviously the second question is, well, can they right now? I'm like, well, you have to understand that a lot of the visas, a lot of the structures, a lot of the things that we do, you know, this is not you decide today and tomorrow you're on an airplane. There's a lot of documents you might need to gather if you're getting a second passport or a residency. My invitation is start those processes now before it's too late because doors are closing. They're actually closing all around us. And come November 3rd, a whole bunch more doors doors could close. So it's like get your plan in place, people, um, We've been talking about this type of stuff for years, about a contingency plan or a backup plan or moving overseas, having things protected. Well, this is your opportunity. We've got, what, three months left. Um, Cause I, I can't promise that everything will still be available after that. And I'm all about more freedom. So everything that we do at Escape Artist and the Expat Money Show and all the work that I do, it's all the legal things. And if a door has closed and it's no longer legal, don't expect my help with it afterwards because I'm not going to risk myself or my family or my freedom to to help people when, like if they don't take the opportunity while they can.
1: Well, that's well, that's well said, Mikkel. That's well said and you shouldn't risk yourself. Then, you know, the time to start making your move is now yep. because sooner or later, people are gonna get their freedom back. And when they do, you know, I think after if Trump gets reelected, it'll be very quick. If it's not, and then this whole this whole charade is going to go on for months and months and months. But nonetheless, either way, you need to to start making your move now. Now, I will say, when I moved to Honduras uh, ten years ago, it was just getting on the plane and moving. Uh, and and I think it'll become that way again uh, if Trump is elected. I think it'll happen very quick. If Biden and Harris are elected, I think. Uh, The turmoil and the chaos are are going to be such as it's not. But that's all the more reason. Look, you have somebody who now is a major presidential candidate who has already announced that he's going to raise taxes through the ceiling on you, okay, a confiscatory tax. And, And that means your money is in absolute jeopardy. It's in absolute jeopardy. There's going to be no holes barred. As to what's going, what is going to be taken from you, plus the economy. The economy is. I'm giving you my opinion, but my opinion is the economy is going to crash. Okay, we haven't even seen it yet. And I read, you know, a tremendous amount of material from Money Map Press, which I, which I would recommend to other people. Uh, Daily Reckoning. Uh, these are excellent, excellent sources. Uh, Rappaport, these people. Uh, the economy is, has hasn't crashed. Is it, it is going to crash? Uh, and when it crashes, uh, the situation, as bad as it is in the United States right now, I'm afraid is going to be much, much worse. Um, the unemployment, as bad as it, bad as it is, the you know the the uh, the the restaurant association, National Restaurant Association estimates that 50 percent of restaurants that have been closed down by these fascist governors are not going to reopen. In New York, it's closer to 70 percent. Um, And so, and many of the businesses, uh, they recommend, they say now that 30 to 40% of businesses will not be able to reopen. Well, this is going to start taking a toll, folks, and the unemployment is going to skyrocket. And the only way they're going to pay for it is with taxes. And let me make something clear here, because I'm afraid it's something people, I had to explain this to some very savvy friends of mine, that they, they said, well, the federal government will just print more money. They won't necessarily raise taxes. Well, Biden's already said he's raised taxes. But even if he hadn't said it, the federal government's just going to print more qualitative easing. But the problem you have is these states where the governors intentionally shut down their states and destroyed the countries and the mayors who shut down their cities and destroyed the cities. They cannot print money, ladies and gentlemen. And there's only one way they're going to get money, and that's to take it from those living in those states and cities. They are going to rob you blind. Uh, The Governor Gruesome out in California has already raised the taxes to 6.16.5 percent What do you think is going to happen to the narrow tax base left in New York City? The stores are closed, they're gone. The restaurants are gone. 13,000 apartments have been abandoned in the past 3 weeks. They estimate more than a million people have already fled, taxpaying people. That means those who remain, there's only one way for De Blasio, a Marxist to the heart, is going to be able to get money and that's to bleed people dry who make the mistake of being trapped there. Okay? So these, this economy is going to take a massive hit after the first of the year. Um, if Trump is elected, I think we'll survive it. If Biden-Harris are elected, we're not going to survive it in this country. We're not going to survive it in this country.
0: Well, and I was reading last week in California, they're proposing a tax, basically an exit tax that'll be go on for 10 years. So if you had built your career in California, when you move to another state, they're going to continue to charge you state tax. And then they wanted to, seriously, and that they want, there was even talk about um, university students that are educated in California, that they're going to have a right to your tax when you go back to your home state because that they helped educate you uh, so they feel like they have a claim on your future labor. That's unbelievable.
1: That's just. That's unbelievable. That's just shocking. Yeah. It's just shocking. Well, I remember, you know, several years ago, Tony Robbins, who I'm a great admirer of, uh, Tony Robbins said that when he moved from California to, I can't remember whether he moved to Florida or Texas, you might remember, Mikkel, but he, he saved $13 yeah. million a year in, in Texas. Holy mackerel. Well, well folks, and I've had
0: Grant Cardona on my show as well. Um, the guy's. I I'm not sure what he's worth right now, but close to a billion, I'm sure. And he was in California and moved to Florida as well. Yeah. It was yeah. just like, you can still have great weather. Um, yeah.
1: And... I, love, I love Grant Cardone. I think, I think Grant Cardone is like the apostle of greed. He just. He is just I, I'm serious. I watch him. I watch his videos every day, and I love the guy. And you know what? He really is an excellent teacher on sales. By the way, folks, if you really want to learn how to sell,
0: I've been through his Cardone University. Are you serious? I've been on his, yeah, I've been through Cardone University, and I've I was attending his masterminds, and I've had him on the podcast, and emailed back and forth with him, and. um yeah, he's he's a funny one. He's intense. He is
1: great. I, I, one of my favorite ads by him, I don't want to get off subject, but it is just so delightful. One of my favorite ads is he's lying on top of his Rolls Royce and and the caption says, being fabulously wealthy is not owning your own plane, which is in the background. He said, it's being able to lie on top of your Rolls Royce and look at it. <laughs> <So it's> just, <laughs> and I happen to believe that if you follow his, his precepts that you, you will make a lot of money. Um, and so, and, but nonetheless, there's another example of a guy who knew when it was time to get out. And that's what, that's what essentially you and I are urging people. The time to get out is now. Don't wait until the governor of your state or the mayor of your city does to you what De Blasio has done to New York. New York is not coming back. New York is not coming back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, before we went on the air, I was saying to uh, to uh, to Mikkel, uh, you know, I want you to pick up your cell phone. If you don't, if you want of the reasons why you know it's not coming back, pick up your cell phone right now. Do it and just hold it in the palm of your hand. You are looking at the palm of your hand at a device that holds more offices and more employees and more corporate headquarters than the Empire State Building. And yet you pay no property tax, you pay no, no sales tax, you don't pay none of the fees that they pile on top of it, you don't have to worry about walking out the door that you're going to get mugged and robbed, and it's in the palm of your hand. So why is anybody going to move back to New York once they escape? And folks, by the way, that cell phone that you're holding, that empire staple in the palm of your hand, you can erect it in Honduras. Yeah, yeah, where it's sunny, gorgeous beaches. You know, the, the miracle of Honduras to me is just that, how do you take a country? And I'd love to sit down with Juan Orlando and ask him how he managed to do this, he and Manuel Zelaya. How do you take a country that has some of the most beautiful beaches in the world, gorgeous rainforest mountains, is plush you stick a twig in the ground it grows into a tree has wonderful mineral resources how do you take and wonderful people who want to work how do you take a country like that and keep it bankrupt <laughs> I, don't,
0: I don't even you think by accident oh these yeah guys but, but a lot of people do think that these places are like this by accident you know they just they just can't get it right they just can't catch a break you know no. it's like oh my god no that's that's not the case at all that's
1: not the case at all. It's intentional. What they did to my wife was intentional. My wife, when I found out recently, she said to me, do you remember when you first met me? I said, well, of course, Princess, I remember when I first met you. She said, I had had one apple to eat in the previous four days. Now, doesn't that take your breath away, folks? Doesn't that take? Doesn't that hurt? She told me when she was a child, she said, when you're starving to death and your stomach acids start eating your stomach lining, the pain is so terrible that you can't stop crying. Well, and none of it is necessary, that, which is another reason. Move down there, folks, because you will ease that suffering. The very fact you're spending money, the very fact that you will start to have influence is going to ease that suffering. Isn't that a noble calling? Despite the fact you're going to live damn well. Okay. You're going to live a very, very nice life. It's very pleasant. I wish I were there now, but I, you know, and, and I can't be one of the reasons is I, you know, Rachel doesn't want to move back there right now. She, she works, uh, she works at Lowe's, um, a job she loves. And, uh, and, and she's very proud of that. I mean, that's an incredible thing for her, uh, to be to, you know, she says, I can't believe I work in a big, giant gringo store. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Well, I remember even in private conversations, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, um, you st- telling me that when she came over, you told her, listen, princess, you don't have to work. We do very well for ourselves. You don't have to work at all. But she actually wanted to work. She, she genuinely wanted to contribute and to help her husband and, and produce and contribute. I think that's really important. That's vital.
1: And that's what we find with, with with so many of these people from these countries. And, and that's why, folks, when you make the move, and I urge you, just do it. Just do it. You know, when you make the move, you're, you're going to you're going to find out it, it, that they're wonderful people to live around. Do they have a horrible crime problem right now? Yeah. But that's because in Honduras they do because of Juan Orlando. But I don't think, you know, in Nicaragua they don't. There are other countries down there they don't. And, and you know, I'm going to say something that, that some people are going to resent. And, and and Mikel, if you want to cut it out, you can do it. But if I were buying right now, I w- and I've told Rachel this, my Honduran wife, I would buy in Nicaragua. Because I think that, uh, uh, you know, I'm not saying he's the greatest, nicest guy on the face of the earth. What's really funny is when I worked with Reagan, we fought that, we fought Ortega tooth and nail because I worked with the Contras. <laughs> but, but at this point, I got to say, you know, the friends I have who live there, who own some very, very nice properties there, resorts, say he pretty much leaves people alone. And you don't have the crime problem you have in Honduras. You don't certainly don't have the drug problem. I, I, I'm, I'm recommending that. The other, the other country. And you know what? I, I would like, I would love your read on this because I would bet you have been there, maybe even live there. And that's Uruguay.
0: I keep. I've reading. not actually. I've never been. It's um. It's one of those countries that comes up all the time, and I just haven't made it down there. Um, for Latin American countries, I've only lived in Guatemala and in Panama. I was in Guatemala in 2001 or 2002 for half a year, and loved my experience there. Um, hitchhiked and back through backpacked all through Central and South America. Found Panama, which was just a hole in the wall at the time. Now it's like a massive metropolitan city with everything you could ever expect, um, from a first world country, but, uh, yeah, not been Uruguay or Paraguay. They're on the list though. Carter. Oh, uh, Urugu- Uruguay,
1: everybody keeps telling me, you need to go buy a place in Uruguay because they're Italians. And, mm. they, and
0: I said, what? what it's true. It's talking? the it's... most Italian concentrated <laughs> place in Latin America.
1: Yeah. They told me they speak Spanish with an Italian accent. Now my mother was born in Italy. That's, that's why they, they say that to me. So, so I think now, now the, uh, um the, the place in Panama that I think I would be most uh, prone to buy in is, um, you now when you know as soon as I say it, it slips my mind, it's up in the mountains where you actually have fire. What is it? Bukete. Buquete. Yeah. Buquete. You actually have fireplaces in the homes.
0: Yeah, it's a lot cooler. It's considerably cooler than down here on the coast. I'm right on the water, like the water's 10 seconds from my from my. Penthouse. So.
1: Very pretty. I mean, it, it's hot and
0: humid here. That is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was definitely where I lived in Honduras was uh, Alpino was, was not far from, from, from the water, but it was definitely hot and humid. And I think, I think if uh, what I'm recommending to people, look it up folks, look up uh, in Honduras, Trujillo. Uh, absolutely stunningly beautiful and still very quaint and, and, uh, and pristine. Uh, nice little town, nice little town. But uh, that, uh, my wife bought a home near St. Petra So She sold my home and bought one much nicer. Uh, and I'm going to tell you right now, it has a two-car garage, three bedrooms, beautiful gated yard, uh, just gorgeous place, home. Uh, she got $30,000. So
0: if, when I tell you folks that you can live down there for next to nothing, I really mean it. I really mean it. Well, and that's what happens with a lot of cases. You know, Most Americans and Canadians, I believe, have the, the, the majority of the resources tied in their primary residence. So if your primary residence is $300,000, dollars $800,000, I mean, even after you clear whatever is left on the remaining of your mortgage, and you go into cash and you move down to somewhere like Central America or South America, you buy your place outright, and you still have a couple of hundred thousand, maybe several hundred thousand dollars left. And the cost of living, I mean, if, if you're spending, God, if you spend $2,000 a month down in a place like this, you would live like a king. Like we, we have organic fruits and vegetables delivered to our house, a giant sack full every single week. We get organic eggs delivered to our house, all organic meats. So our, our health and our standard of living is higher in that regard. Our costs are lower. Um, tax-free, legally tax-free country. I mean, there's just so many benefits. And then to our earlier point, people actually want you here. I I don't walk down the street and feel like um, out of place ever. I don't feel like people treat me that you know I'm coming in and taking advantage of people. No, they're very welcoming. They actually really want me here. They want not just the human capital, you know, and the intelligence and the entrepreneur. They want the the actual resources that I bring into the country. And they would rather have me spend that in the stores and the shops and the, with the farmers opposed to taking the money out through taxes. So, I mean, you really are helping the situation when you move to one of these developing countries. I, I'm a big fan for developing countries this day and age. Big, oh, I am Big too. fan.
1: I am too. And, and, you know, I want to point, I want to point something out. You, you've said about, you know, they treat you well. Now, now here's what I noticed. And correct me if, if, if mine is an exceptional case. You've lived many more places than I have, Mikel. But the, the attitude I got in Honduras was pretty much what uh, Patrick Moynihan got in trouble 50 years ago, 40 years ago during the Nixon years, calling benign neglect. Okay? It was, they didn't care. <laughs> you know, I never had people look at me and say, oh, there was a gringo in our country. I never had them look at me and say, oh, isn't it wonderful we have a gringo here in the country. It was, you're just another person there. Correct. Yeah, which which is exactly what I want. I don't want anybody to genuflect because I'm Lord Jim. And I certainly don't want anybody to be upset because they think I'm a uh, an interloper. Uh, and it's neither. An it's just, you're just another person there. You're just another person. And that, that I really enjoyed. I was gonna say earlier, one of the things that, and just this just get, it's just to give people the flavor, literally the flavor. I loved when I would walk down the streets in La Ceiba and go up to the fresh orange, you talked about the fresh fruit, the fresh orange stand, and for a nickel, I would get an orange that they would cut in half and salt. And it just, the flavor ju- just shouted out at you. And you walk down the street with that Caribbean breeze off the ocean, and it's just a very pleasant life, folks. Sometimes I just, I would call on my phone back to my brother or my sister and just tell them, I am living the dream life. I am living the dream. Because I'm walking down the street, and when I finish this orange, we're gonna have a fresh banana for a nickel. When I go into, I laugh when I go when I used to go into Starbucks before the fascist governor shut them down, and I would get a banana, and it would be a dollar
0: and a quarter. And it's unripe, and it's like gross, and has no flavor. The first thing I did when I got down here was when we when we went to the grocery store, we bought bananas, and I was like, my God. It has so much flavor to it. I kind of forgot what this tasted like, you know.
1: Oh, <laughs> so this is what a banana tastes like. It, when you said about the fresh fruit, my home now, you know, my home in, in El Pino, I had a banana tree, pineapple plants, papaya, all this in my backyard. <laughs> you, you can't get fresher than that. And and, and so, so, you know, you and I are making it sound like a paradise. And you know what, folks, to me, it just is. And you know, I'm not saying I don't, I love, I live in York, Pennsylvania. Okay. I can't go down to the inner city because the mayor down there has turned the city over to BLM uh, um, and anti uh, Antifa. He simply has. And, and so I can't go down there now, uh, but I live, I live in the city, but in one of the last streets out toward the edge of it. And I love it. And, and my wife and I love it here. You know, it's very pleasant. We live in a peaceful street. It's, you know, Multiracial, Latinos, Blacks, me, um, and but it's nowhere. It can't compare with the. I'm looking out my window right now, and I have a lot of trees, but there are no bananas or pineapples or you know anything like that out there. I can guarantee you that. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I do have tomato plants, by the way. Um, so, but other than that, it, it's just it really. When, when Mikkel and I say about how pleasant it is, we're not blowing smoke at you. I urge you to at least once, once we're allowed, once we're free to travel again, uh, travel down and spend a while down there, and you'll you'll realize, you know, this really is very pleasant. This is very pleasant. Um, now, I will say this: I can't speak for Guatemala, can't speak for Nicaragua. I visited some of these countries. But I can tell you, if you're going to Honduras, when you move to Honduras, you're not going to be pressing one for English. Okay. Um, so you, you're, and you're not going to have a bunch of do gooders running around demanding that the Hondurans <laughs> learn to speak English to appease you. It's not going to happen. Uh, you're going to, invariably, when I went in now, I, you know, obviously I can speak a lot more Spanish now. But uh, back when I first moved there, invariably there's somebody around who, You know, there's always somebody there who speaks enough English. So when you want to offer coffee, order coffee with three sweet and low on the side and cream uh, and the person behind the counter looks at you like you have two heads, there's always somebody there who's able to walk up and say, you know, in Spanish what it is. But just be prepared for that. I don't want to ever mislead people. I can't speak again. I cannot speak for the other countries down there.
0: Well, yeah. And and I think people should also recognize that we're not trying to convince anybody of anything. Neither Carter or I are being paid by the Honduras or Nicaraguan or any of these other countries to promote them or to from the government. Like, I mean, my advice for people is always go down and take a look and make your own decision. If you like it, great. If you don't like it, great, no problem. There's a lot of countries out there. And I think more and more we're going to see that people can really shop for the lifestyle that makes sense to them. You know, That used to be just moving cities or even moving states. But now it is going to be the norm to move countries. A lot of the barriers that were once in place, whether that be your job or your child's education, all those barriers are being removed. Homeschooling is unbelievably important right now and is taking off like never before. Um, remote work is a viable option for pretty much every business out there, especially in the white collar district. Um, you know, people thought that these things would not work, that people would be lazy and sit around all day and do nothing. We're actually seeing statistically that they're getting more things done. There's no commute. They're happier. There's more focus. They're working on average more than 90 minutes extra a day. So, it makes a ton of sense. And then why, going to your other point, why are you going to continue to pay commercial real estate in a place like Manhattan? Why is the business going to continue to pay that when they can have workers that stay home and they don't need to do all any of these types of things? When you take those types of salaries and you move to Honduras or anywhere in Latin America, I mean that arbitrage between the two it's it's just such a simple, fast, easy way to increase your standard of living without actually having to change to get a raise or to get some new position or add extra stress to your life. So many good things for it.
1: Uh, Mikkel, you can actually take a pay cut and live better.
0: Yep. That's what I've been recommending to my clients to do. I've actually been recommending to people, go to your boss before you get fired because a lot of people are keeping their jobs right now because they're forced to by the government, they're keeping their employees. Go to your boss in advance and say, you know what? I'm gonna take 30% less, I'm moving out of the country, I wanna be a consultant or I want to be um, you know, listed as a part-time worker or a freelancer or something like this. Remove yourself from the situation, you're actually gonna come out on he- ahead by multiples.
1: Models. Yeah, you, you really are. And you're going to live much better. I, I think the the um, one of the and you mentioned the education, one, one of the unintended unintended consequences that's befalling the liberals who launched this phony plague on us is the educations, the university system. I am thrilled that universities all over America are going to have to shut down. And I'll tell you why. You may say, well, you're really a sick person. I'll tell you why. (laughs) Because they were ripoff. They were nothing but major ripoffs. They were a place where people too lazy to go out and work became college professors where they were overpaid while they lorded it over little kids. You know how many hours a college professor works a week? Look it up, folks. I'm not making this up. Nine hours. Nine. Well, no, but we have to study in between. No, you don't. I was a school teacher. I know what you do. You teach the same lesson plan every year. And so,
0: so. And now, once you have tenure, that's it. Like oh you're protected. Like God. you hit tenure and you just kick your feet up and that's it guys. It's, yeah. yeah.
1: And so what you have, absolutely. So what you have now is people have realized, why do I need these? Three, three blocks from me is Penn State, York. Six blocks is York University. And I look at those buildings and think, why do they have to even be there? The kids, we now know, thanks to these idiots who launched this plague on us or this phony plague, I say, uh, they're not, the, the kids don't have to be there. They, you can get your university education, if you really want one, and I would recommend you not get one, uh, from Honduras, okay? Because it's all online anyway. Tony, two of my favorite people. I mentioned Tony Roberts. I, and I, you know, folks. I got to tell you, Mikkel and I, I, because I, I, he, we share. You know, I see his Facebook and all, and I see his post. We, we have the same. <laughs> we have the same people. We ju- we just follow. Okay. Uh, uh, Tony Robbins, uh, 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 Grant Cardone. Uh, um, Russell Brunson, the, the, the ClickFunnels guy, and Dean mm-hmm. Graciosi. And, and Graciosi yep, and to. Tony Robbins are telling people now, and this, I want you to think about this, folks. They're telling people, don't go to college, self educate, don't waste your money. And I know Grant does exactly the same thing. He's very explicit about it. So you don't need that anymore. You don't need it anymore. And if you still want it, what you need to learn, you have that right in the, you have the greatest university in history right in the palm of your hand.
0: Exactly. I saw recently that Harvard, this is probably two months ago, three months ago, Harvard is going to not open the doors, but they're going to continue to charge people $50,000 a year, sorry, $50,000 a semester for online training programs, like online university, 50 grand to attend Harvard online. I was like, Really? Does anybody actually think that Harvard is about the education? Like, please, like no one can be that dumb. Harvard is about the networking. Harvard is about the prestige. Harvard is about the name. Do you still get those types of things if you just watch like Harvard YouTube videos? I don't know.
1: I don't know. But I I do know this, that 110 universities in this country have billion dollar endowments. And I do know that 70% of college grads, which graduates in this country, do not pursue what they majored in. So it's it's unnecessary, but the point we, we started out with is that even if you do want a college education, and I never did, that's why I graduated from Frostburg State, but even if you do, you can do that from Honduras or Guatemala or Reggio Calabria, where my mother came from in Italy. It's all there now and you've got it all in the palm of your hand. The good life at a great price, as I say, is in the palm of your hand now. And let me reiterate something that you said earlier, Mikel, I'm not selling any property. I, I want to make that clear to folks. I am. I don't. The only property I own in Honduras is my own home. I think Rachel and I are going to buy another home, probably in the, uh, Tala Bay, because that's where her mother lives, and she wants to buy a place for her mother to live in. Uh, but but I'm you know I'm not trying to sell you property. Uh, I think there are some some you know we have friends who have some great properties down there I would recommend, but I'm not going to do it on this podcast because I don't want people to think that, oh, now we know why they're really saying this stuff <laughs> because it's just not true. It's for your sake. Uh, to the listeners, I'm telling you, it's for your sake. It's not, it's not for my sake or, or Mikel's sake.
0: No, that's a a good point, because I think that it is important to understand people's motivations, and and I don't want people to ever get the wrong idea. Yes, we do visas for certain countries. I help people with their visa for Panama. I don't do anything in Honduras or El Salvador or Guatemala or Nicaragua or anything like that. So, I mean, it doesn't uh, doesn't affect me one way or the other in that regard. Yeah. Understanding people's motivation is incredibly important. And I think that even ties back to our conversation about politics. You know, what is it that these people are getting out of it? Why are they doing these types of things? It's not for your benefit. They're not trying to protect the poor. They're not trying to help people. It's for their own gain. Um, And the sooner that you understand that, the better off you're going to be.
1: Look, folks, these people are crooks. I'm just telling you, I've worked with them. I've worked with them. I was the director of communication for the Senate majority. And out of all of them, there were two that I thought, wow, that's an admirable person. Armstrong of Colorado, uh, so I'm dating myself here, and then the guy from uh, New Hampshire's name, I can't remember right now. And they both quit. (laughs) They both quit. They didn't wanna be around the other politicians. And so you look at somebody like Mitch McConnell, I'm just gonna name names. McConnell in 2007 managed his finances so badly that he almost went bankrupt. He's the third wealthiest person in the U.S. Senate now. At 100, and he still only makes what, 180,000 a year. What? Yeah, how does that work? 20, he's worth <laughs> 22 million on a salary of uh, 178,000 a year. So he's been Uh, working for
0: like 200 years straight.
1: (laughs) 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 Well, It's called influence peddling folks and it's what they do. And so, so don't, you know, don't think that they're going to look, you've lost America. If you're living in America and you're listening to this, you've lost America. America has gone the way of Ebbets field. For those of you, my age, okay. Ebbets field was the greatest ballpark in the history of baseball. Okay, those from Boston are going to say, no, it's Fenway, but it wasn't. It was Ebbetsfield. Um, and and this, this country now has gone the way of Ebbetsfield. Tune in when you can. Frank Sinatra's. there used to be a ballpark right here, and it'll break your heart. Well, there used to be a country right here. And when you can no longer go out, when you can no longer go to restaurants, you can no longer go to malls, you can no longer go to baseball games, you can no longer go to to festivals. In Texas, you can't have a picnic in your backyard with your family anymore. Um, Folks, there is no freedom. It's gone. This is not America. And it's not coming back. Okay? They're making that clear. Fauci makes it clear every day. It's not, we're not giving it back. Let me tell you the two words that, that, that have ended your freedom in America and should tell you, I got to get out of this place. They are three words, actually, excuse me, health and safety health and safety. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Every one of these governors who have totally taken away the freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, the due process, search and seizure from the American people. Don't forget the governor of New Jersey when they said, well, what about, what about the, Constitution, the Bill of Rights? He said, I didn't even give it a second thought. Okay, the Bill of Rights. We'll sort th- it out later.
0: Yeah. And, yeah I, I yeah, heard we'll that start. for Kamala Harris as well, that The first thing that they want to do is take the guns. We'll sort out everything out afterwards, but first get me those guns. And it's like, like, really? Like, you're just, you're not going to pay attention to the laws at all? Like, what's going on here? This is like Twilight Zone. I don't understand. I never thought it could get this bad.
1: The words will not infringe are pretty explicit, okay? So, So these things are gone now, and they are not coming back. So, if you want to go to a restaurant again, if you want to go to a ball game again, you're going to have to get out of the country, okay? If you want your freedom back, you're going to have to be somewhere else to be free because there's a ratchet effect in politics. I've done it for 50 years, folks. There is a ratchet effect in politics. It only goes one way. And in case you think to yourself, well, yeah, but people are going to sue and, and we'll get a no. John Roberts Supreme Court has already ruled that if a governor uses the words health and safety, they can take away every freedom you have. Look it up, folks. The Supreme Court has already ruled. That means here in Pennsylvania, the most traveled road near me is Route 30. If tomorrow morning Tommy the Commie, the governor of this state, woke up and decided for, for, for to protect the green, the green agenda, I'm closing down Route 30 because of the pollution. For, self, for safety and health reasons, he could do it. And you know what? He probably will. Mm-hmm.
0: Don't give them any ideas, Carter, Jeez. (laughs) But it is, it's true. It's like Orwellian doublespeak, you know, health and safety now means, you know, take your freedoms away, confiscation. Confiscation, yeah.
1: And you're not going to have it that bad in these Central American countries. You know, that's the ones I use because that's that's where my home is because you're going to be, and this sounds horrible, but you're going to be one of the elite. And the elite never have to live under the rules that everybody else does. Do you really think that Bill Gates runs around in a mask? (laughs) Or Jeff Bezos?
0: Touché, touché. Jeff
1: Bezos owns, bought in the Colorama section of Washington, D.C., the old textile museum for $23 million dollars, put $12 million into remodeling to suit his taste. And do you think he runs around in there in a mask? Do you think Fauci runs around in a mask? Well, he certainly wasn't wearing it when he was one of the three people allowed to attend the Washington Nationals opening game. No, folks were being had it's it's ridiculous when i saw a cell
0: phone in- video from from him basically giving his speech and then as soon as the, he thought the cameras were off he was taking the mask off and talking to people and it was like i was like you you're such a hypocrite like you're just such a hypocrite it's disgusting Uh, The hypocrisy
1: is remarkable. It's remarkable. I remember seeing uh, Biden sitting on a bench with his mask down. He likes to hang it around his ear, which, by the way, somebody needs to tell him looks ridiculous (laughs) and just chit-chatting with people. And then the camera came on. Oh, he put it back on. And you you felt like, oh, he must've seen a COVID coming at him. But, but it, it just, uh, you know, but down there, you will be one of the elite. You don't have to abide by all the rules that everyone else does. not I know none of us likes to think of ourselves as elitist, but you know, freedom nowadays is an elite right. And at least down there in these other countries, you're going to have it. I'm just telling you, it's the way it is.
0: And I think that is a perfect way to end today's conversation. Carter, this was a lot of fun. I always love our talks. Um, if my listeners want to find out more about what you do, if they want to follow along with some of your writing, where can we send them?
1: Um, you know, if anybody wants to write to me, if anybody is happy, unhappy, anything you want to say, you can send me an email. I really, you know, I have no problem with that. You know, it, it's clues at yahoo.com. And I, I'm serious about that. I believe, you know, uh, uh, Mikkel and I are both followers of Gary V, the great uh, guru of uh, social media. And I'm with him. I answer things people write to me, and I accept what mm-hmm. people have to say. So, and there if you guys
0: go. want to check out any of Carter's work that he does with us, he, is, he has a monthly column on our Insiders magazine. If you go to escapeartist.store, you'll find the links for that. I highly encourage you guys to sign up for Escape Artist Insiders. I'm super proud of it, and I always love Carter's, Carter's articles in there. They always make me smile. So so that's good. That's a shameless plug, everyone, but really, go support it. It's amazing. Thank you, Oh, and well-deserved. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time, Carter. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Hey, everyone. Mikkel here. So I have an ask for you today. If you're enjoying this podcast, what I want you to do is go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. If you want to leave us a five-star review, even better. If not, tell us why. We are really doing our best to make this show the absolute best it can be to help as many people to go offshore and inspire entrepreneurs and investors and business owners to move their businesses abroad There's so much to be had in this industry. I love doing this work and I love doing this podcast. But we want to get the message out there to more people. And the best way to do that is with reviews. So if you have ever gotten one good tip, one good thing from this show, if you enjoy listening to us every single Wednesday or whenever you listen during the week, then please take 30 seconds out of your day go out there, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It actually makes a big difference for the show, for the visibility, and really helps get the word out there. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much, everyone, for your support. Thank you so much for listening to today's interview. My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com.